Hello, welcome to Explain Conversations. But first, introduce yourself. I'm Ezra. I'm Ruby. I'm Mark. And I'm Sunan. Let's do the intro. So it's episode eight, everybody. Wow! Finally, the Chinese, oh. the Chinese, a fortunate number, fortune number. Amen to that. Yao fat, yao fat, 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 fat. But don't All fat right. now, ah. Uh. Don't fat now. No, no, no. Well, anyway, anyway, we gotta calm ourselves down here, but uh, to the rest of our listeners, if you want to listen more to our previous episodes and keeping updates of what we're up to, we're available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts, and also check us out on Instagram at Explain Conversations. Anyway, we got to move on from here. Uh, for this episode, what are we going to talk about? All right. So before we go into the topic, let's talk about scripture. Christians in general, and no, we're not including liberals. Sorry, guys. No. We highly regard the scripture as the ultimate authority and the final revelation of God. And of course, scripture speaks of the person of Jesus Christ to the world. Now, here comes the topic. We have so many translations and with many translations, there are many controversies regarding Bible translations. And then today, young Christians would enjoy regarding the Passion Translation or the Message Bible also Uncle Roger's favorite ingredient for his fried rice. Like every other existing translations and both, these newer versions are very controversial. So Ezra, since you're a postgraduate candidate in biblical studies, why don't you break the ice? Flex, Aye. brother. Flex it. Oh, come on. All right. Yep. Well, uh, the Message Bible is also known as MSG, which is why it's Uncle Roger's favorite ingredient. <laughs> he loves MSG on his fried rice. But, well, um, I would kind of like humbly say that I have a long way to go uh, on the whole thing about Bible translations, but I, at least I did my reading for a bit. But uh, anyway, uh, shout out to Dr. Stephen Boyce, who is an elder of City Light Asheville. Uh, he's much more qualified on this topic than I am, but uh, let me give an overview. Uh, if you want to know how Bibles are translated, the best way is to get a printed copy of a Bible. Uh, look at the preface, and then on the preface, you can actually kind of read on that that particular translation how it was developed. But generally, modern Bible translators uh, they work collectively in translating the early manuscripts, uh, and the early manuscripts were written in Hebrew, uh, Greek, Aramaic, uh, mostly into English. Uh, mostly as time goes by, I mean, they, they kind of like translated into Latin, English, uh, but lately with the rising number of uh, non-English uh, speaking Bible scholars, uh, uh, you will also find scholars who are like uh, translating from the manuscripts as in original manuscripts into their own language. Uh, there are various thoughts to be put into account, for instance, uh, the use of adjectives, uh, the tenses, prepositions, uh, sentence structures, and semantics. So the general rule of translations are first, it has to be collective, uh, it has to be done collectively, which means uh, one Bible translation has to be done with few other scholars. And second, uh, one Bible translations require consultations with various other uh, scholarly groups, uh, such as historians, archaeologists, 
experienced Bible translators, linguists, and even theologians of both uh, Jewish and the Christian faith. So it's kind of like a whole rigid uh, process to ensure that the translations are faithful to the original text. So uh, with that, what about the newest edition, like uh, the Passion Translation, which is known as TPT, and the Message Bible, which is uh, Uncle Roger's favorite ingredient, MSG? Well, the problem with them is, uh, first, uh, the history behind them, uh, they're quite dodgy. I mean, take example of TPT, when Brian Simmons uh, translated uh, and, and produced it, uh, he claimed to receive a download, like, like how you download your files, and he claimed to receive a download from heaven of the actual text of the scripture, and then he claimed that Jesus showed him the extra chapter of the Gospel of John. And that itself is pretty dodgy because it sounds like a New Agers uh, engaging in the practice of automatic writing. Uh, let alone the whole chunk of TPT itself runs off for the content of the actual manuscripts of where we usually get our translations from. Uh, in fact, he did not consult any experienced Bible translators. He did not consult scholars in producing uh, TPT. So that means TPT isn't actually a translation. In fact, it's not a translation. It's neither a paraphrase like the Amplified Bible, nor a Bible to be used in devotions and the day-to-day -day references. Well, uh, moving on into MSG, on the other hand, Eugene Peterson, uh, I mean, everybody loves him in, in the evangelical circle. But anyway, Eugene Peterson had an idea of wanting to create some form of paraphrase uh, translation for the modern day Christians to understand. Uh, the problem here is the whole paraphrasing itself is quite an error. So scholars have raised a lot of eyebrows towards a few passages in the MSG and how they tend to sound culturally relevant to the progressive society as if uh, it was written to fit in uh, Eugene Peterson's liberal agenda. Uh, although he kind of did seek consultancy, he'd rather allow his personal worldview of the scripture and the Christian faith in general to dictate the translation of the Bible. Of course, there would be argument like, don't you think translations are biased? Well, my simple answer would be yes, but nah. Yes, because I mean, who's not biased? Everyone has a presupposition. And because of that, it, this is why scholars uh, come together to balance out their presuppositions. And in balancing their presuppositions, the answer would remain no, because scholars are strictly monitored uh, in ensuring the translation remains faithful to the early manuscripts, which means if the manuscript says you shall not kill in Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, which it means you have to translate it as it is, you shall not kill. If you don't believe me, just try to put MSG in comparison to other word-for-word -word or taught-for-taught translations, especially uh, KGV and NIV. You'll find out, uh, you'll find out how uh, Eugene Peterson uses MSG to pull the Bible away from its original uh, context. So uh, as a biblical scholar in the making, uh, which I'd rather not use it, uh, I'm very cautious about having uh, translations and I rather pick uh, NASB, which is the New American uh, Standard Bible, uh, English Standard Bible, which is the ESV and uh, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, but I have a guilty pleasure, uh, which is I enjoy immersing in the beauty of KGV. So please don't persecute me on this. Um, anyway, uh, what about you guys? Uh, what's your favorite translation? Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, why would you pick on that particular translation? Well, for me, my guilty pleasure would be the ISR version, Scriptures, 2009. Uh, well, that's just because it's personal. 
but I would choose ESV because, well, <laughs> basically ESV is uh, still remains uh, used by many of the uh, reform circles. So that is one reason. But also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, ESV translation was actually corrected in terms of the Old Testament text. So uh, in that, for that reason, I choose ESV. It's short and simple. It's not very but that's that's my my answer yeah yeah i think adding on to what ruby said my preferred version is esv as well because generally overall uh it's not it's not a perfect translation okay uh, let's get that straight it's not a perfect translation but overall it is accurate to the point where it helps you see certain details within the text but at the same time you you will not you will not lose sight of the whole forest, you know, as a Chinese saying goes, uh, 见树不见林, you know, you can, some, sometimes you, you are just so uh, detailed with the translation to the point where, you know, you don't understand what the whole sentence or the whole paragraph or even the whole story is actually talking about, which there are translations like that. If I'm not mistaken, it's called uh, Young's translation, where they translate it literally for literally, you know, from, from the Hebrew and the Greek. Because if you studied Hebrew and Greek, uh, well, I so happen to study a bit of both, uh, you will see that the sentence structure of both are very different from the English translation. So I think ESV has quite a fine balance between, between uh, being literal and also being understandable. Though there are certain quirks uh, within the translation, but th those quirks are fine by me, uh, at least. Uh, because again, you will not lose the whole message of what the Bible is saying. Yeah. So I like the way um, Dan Wallace, uh, PhD and professor over at, of textual criticism over at Dallas Theological Seminary, I like the way he approaches this. Um, it's a sin if a Christian who speaks English, who knows English well, it's a sin to have only one Bible version, number one. Number two, it's a sin to also not have the opportunity to be able to use the Hebrew and Greek online because Hebrew and Greek is readily available online. And so if you want to get to the bottom of it, you know, God in his grace has given the English language to many places, many countries, and with that many Bible versions, and with that also with the internet, you know, the Hebrew and Greek are readily available online. So woe betide anyone who just sticks to one. And I'm not just talking about the King James only is, okay? They've been in that sin for many, many years. Uh, but there's also a general trend and culture of English-speaking people who has all these benefits, and yet they do not do it, number one. The other thing I want to say about this is this. I, to be privileged to use the English Bibles should also remind us of how we need to support Bible translations, the Bible translation efforts, not just those in the English language, but also those in other languages. I give you an example. Okay. Until today, the Telugu Bible, the Sanskrit Bible, the Hindi Bible, the Malayali Bible, the Punjabi Bible are all translations done by William Carey's efforts all the way back 
to the first modern mission movement and they only have that one version and should there be issues by the grace of god there has not been because thanks be to god william carey was a great linguist he studied hebrew greek latin and then he picked up hindi tamil punjabi sanskrit while he was in india and so he used it for the betterment for the glory of god for his kingdom in countries like that so we should support that but going particularly into english translations uh, anyone who is who visits my house or even sees me preaching uh, will see the background of all my idols and so from from left to right you have the king james version the new king james version the nasb the csb the niv uh, and the holman christian standard bible and then the esv 2016. these are all the versions that i use regularly for preaching for teaching okay so let me get to the main point then when we talk about our own uh, uh about our favorite bible versions so i love the way dan wallace dan wallace puts it for readability and yet be able to grasp the meaning for meaning i would recommend the new international version not because not, not because i'm a liberal i'm not anyone who talks to me <laughs> will, <laughs> will, 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 will i mean both sides will kick me out okay the extremists the conservative and also the liberal they will they don't know what to do with me okay but the reason why i take the niv is because that is the common english level for most malaysians most malaysians when 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 you hear their english level ah they're probably niv which is about uh eighth grade ninth grade english okay which is form two form three english okay for read so for readability and for uh, and yet be able to get the meaning for meaning i would recommend the niv the new international version and the new english translation the net which is a full free by a full free uh bible version and study notes sixty thousand study notes available online netbible.org check it out for elegance meaning if i were to use it if i were to do it at a wedding or funeral i'll recommend the king james version i'll recommend the esv because it speaks poetry it speaks poetically it speaks eloquently at a level where especially uh, in malaysia when we learn formal english we learn it in the King James, the New King James, and the ESV. So that's why I recommend for that. For literal word for or formal equivalents, I will recommend the NASB. I will recommend uh, the CSB. And the one thing I do like about the NASB is this. Uh, by the way, guys, not all Bibles are translated equally. Uh, not and some Bibles actually have features in their typeface and in their type style. So the NASB, for example, for words that the, English, that the translators put in for English understanding, but because there's no actual word there in the Hebrew or Greek, they will put it in italics. So that way, you know, when a preacher preaches and say, oh, that word there, that word there, because, you know, and they spend like 20 minutes exegeting the word because, and then they realize that, oh, the word because there's an italics in the NASB means it's not really there in the Bible, so they shouldn't have wasted their time, you know, in, in that sense. So it's good if you are a word-for-word -word expository preacher, you know. And for, uh, and for cultural understanding, okay, for cultural understanding, I would recommend uh, NLT, New Living Translation. 
as well as the message for side notes. Okay, why? Because the world today is so globalized in their culture and mostly in, when they say international, they mean Americanized. I mean, think of every singer out there, okay? When they can't make it in the American, in American market, they will go international. And when they go international, even the British, the people from the African continent, from Asia even, when they sing in English, the neutral non-accented non uh, non language, uh, accented voice will always be uh, the, American, the American way of saying things and therefore the American way of wording things. So the message actually is pretty good. Okay, don't believe me. Just get, uh, just read the message with the voice of Matthew McConaughey in your head, and you know who was the message written for. It was written for people like Matthew McConaughey, very uh, not worldly, but very much in the world, but yet still want to be close to God, close to Scripture in a way that he can understand it in his heart, and so the message, and so the message will be adequate. So have multiple versions. That's what I'm saying and work that way. I even do that for Bahasa, even for Bahasa Malaysia work. So I have the Tajamahan Baru Bahasa Indonesia, which is very literal. And then I have the Alkitab Berita Bayit, which is the common use in Malaysia. And then there's a rising version, the Alkitab Versi Borneo, which is splendid. Okay, splendid, splendid work. And of course, online available for free, just for kicks. I read the BM, I read the Bahasa Malaysia that was actually translated by the Dutch reformers for the mission work that was printed, guess when guys? 1609. So the Malay Bible is actually older than the King James Version. So that really, boom, that really, I'm like, wow. So take the privilege to read and enjoy it all and, and be able to utilize it. Read the Hebrew and Greek as well. I refer to it every once in a while to make sure I, make sure I get the points right. And yeah. Uh, invest i don't say spend when it comes to bibles i say invest invest on good study bibles good uh and you hear me what you hear me use the word bibles as in plural yeah i have more than one and i recommend more than one and that way you have a full library for bible versions to start <laughs> not even to complete to start yeah so english-speaking community i'm 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 scolding English-speaking comedian right now because they always depend on just one and say, oh, this is the perfect word of God. No, it's not. You know, use multiple, debate, argue, dialogue. When you, when you read scripture, you preach scripture, you teach scripture, you speak scripture, and then they will edify the church. So, okay, sorry my ranting. That, that's, my, that's my concise answer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to the KJV on list. Oh, I've told that to the KJV only. I have relatives who are in the KJV only church, and secretly, I know some of the members. Yeah, they they will have the the Bible app on their phone, and sometimes they'll flip over to another version. <laughs> yeah, but they won't tell the elders that. <laughs> lest he, lest they be sentenced for church discipline, huh? Oh boy. <laughs> uh, oh well. Spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> Amen to that. But anyway, I think uh, our, uh, from the way we kind of address this, uh, this idea of translation, I think uh, we may be highly critical on, on the, the criteria of picking a right translation. And uh, also, uh, we are quite scholarly on that. But uh, one thing I realized is that not many people would dive into that and uh, pretend that you're 
talking to a new Christian or uh, somebody who's just left the KJV only cult. Uh, why am I using that word? I mean, KJV only Christian uh, who had been uh, exploring around and wants to buy a new translation apart from the usual uh, translation that they've been using. So if they're going to ask you, how do you, how do I pick a right Bible translation? Uh, what would you say to them? Uh, my favorite approach to this would be um, because I have talked to people who have left uh, King James only churches, which I'm, which does not necessarily say, you know, like the typical Bible Presbyterian church, that's like, that's definitely King James only. Uh, but uh, I know some people who left churches who've only used KJV only. Uh, and when they come to college, they're like, oh, you know, what, what other Bible versions should I recommend? Uh, and I will always tell them in the bookstore and usually at a discount, you will find parallel Bibles. So for those who are, so this is for the people who are like reluctant to, to, to let go of the King James Version in, on their hands and under their arm, as they will always say. Um, I would recommend get a parallel Bible. You, usually it's the KJV or the NIV. That's usually, that's usually a pretty solid place to be. Um, I think KJV and ESV is also available out there. And uh, yeah, uh, and I think, uh, uh, or if you, I have a friend who would normally, who said, I want to go full on heretical, you know, meaning I don't want to touch the KJV at all. Uh, what would you recommend me to have? Well, I'll recommend, uh, there's a nice parallel Bible out there, the NASB and NIV. So you get a literal-ish that sounds familiar to KJV as well as NIV, which will be more adequate for their English level. Yeah, so that will be my recommendation for them. Yeah, actually, adding on to Mark, it really depends on who they are as well and where, where they are at in terms of their intellectual capabilities. Because if we, if we know they are able to grasp language as well, I would uh, straight away, you know, just introduce them and even get them to learn learn it in the original language languages. Uh, because all like like what Mark mentioned, all these things are actually freely available. There are a lot tons of resources on YouTube where you can learn Hebrew, where you can learn Greek, uh, Aramaic. I'm not too sure, yeah, but Hebrew and Greek is definitely freely available, and you can read. You can listen to them, you can learn from them, and they're pretty solid as well. So if so, if they are able to grasp all these things, I, I would suggest them to do that and also uh, use multiple multiple versions. I would I definitely recommend NIV. Uh, yeah, uh, don't persecute me or stone me uh, for some in the reform circle. Yeah, NIV. You got a friend uh, in me, brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I would definitely recommend e NIV. ESV or even NASB, right? And that there is a new version for NASB as well, uh, 20, NASB 2020. I'm not sure if the physical copies have arrived. It arrived in Malaysia yet, but if you are on Logos, you can actually uh, buy it because I just recently got my, got my digital copy of it. So yeah, uh, by the way, they did not pay me to say these things, okay? Yeah, so... And if their if their intellectual capabilities are not on par to learn learn pick up a new language, I would just uh, suggest them to stick to either ESV or or even NIV. And if they really need help, uh, NLT would be a good companion, not something for them to be read alone. 
yeah, not something for them to be read alone. Otherwise, uh, things can go quite haywire given how some some of the things they uh some some of the how some of the chapters or some of the phrases or sentences are being translated, which I believe all of us here have certain quirks with. Yeah. So that's what I would say to them. And and I guess I would also say it's important to walk with them as well. Saying, saying and recommending things is just one thing in and of itself, but it's also important for us to also journey with them to help them see and help them read scripture. And, and oftentimes we tend to, you know, stop at phase one, which is, you know, telling them what to read, which versions to get. But, you know, we oftentimes forget to move on to phase two, which is to guide them through and help them read scripture. You know, if we all, if we say uh, scripture, scripture gives us eternal life, we should guide them. We should help them see Christ. So that's what I would say and do. Mm. And I, based on uh, my researches on textual criticism, when it comes to kind of like picking a right translation, it's uh, basically finding the the closest to the original manuscript, uh, which is basically what Bible scholars uh, would call word for word translations, uh, because they translated the manuscript directly, uh, word after word. And then they structured the translated words cautiously into a proper uh, grammatical sentence that we can understand. And of course, this, this would also kind of like relate to the other opposite, which is the taught for taught translations um, with the likes of NIV, NLT. But uh, when it comes to taught for taught, there are so many controversies about it. For instance, um, I'm just going to highlight one uh, key issue, uh, subparts. Uh, in taught for taught translations have been uh, taken away from the text and there are rumors of uh, translation errors. So I know that some of us actually kind of like recommended NIV uh, early on, but here's a, here's a bit of a question here, which you still uh, recommend taught for taught uh, translation um, and why would you say so? I would recommend thought for taught because even King James Version would actually say that they are pretty much also thought for thought. They would keep to the more formal equivalents, uh, but they'll keep to the more formal equivalents when it comes to Bible translation. But there are even, but there are even some structures in Scripture which actually the scholars had to take advantage of the situation to know what it means in the original language, and instead of translating it literally, they actually translate they actually translate figuratively so that the common man and the reader will be able to understand. So to recommend something like NIV is actually not a problem to me as because of thought for thought, because even in King James Bible, they actually do that things for thought for thought. So I give you one example. Um, when the translation in Luke's gospel talks about uh, and Elizabeth was pregnant with child, you know. Uh, the Greek actually says, and now Elizabeth was full in the belly. Now, if you're a Malaysian, you would have said, oh, he just, she just ate nasi kandar and is full. You know, because we Malaysians would resonate that mostly because we eat, you know. But women will understand what that means. You know, full in the belly. Because why? When you're pregnant, you just feel like, oh, you have that, that fullness, right? 
but the English translators, even for the King James Version, thought that if they were to say full in the belly, within the context itself, it will not bring out the true meaning of that phrase. And so they actually so and so they actually play they actually call it now Elizabeth was pregnant with child. So yeah, thought for thought, in my opinion, it's not really an it's not really an issue. Even ESV is has a has a dynamic equivalence is equivalence. Uh, CSB also will be the same. Um, yeah, so I will recommend thought for thought. The only caveat that I have, which then I had, which is why I hesitate uh, to recommend translations like the NLT, Passion Translation, and the Message. These three very, very, uh, very, very. Um, uh, what's the word? The very mm, far right on cultural equivalence. Uh, translations and interpretations is because their culture might not necessarily resonate through. And so people who read it and are really blessed by it, I always tell them, get a parallel Bible. There is one with the NIV and the message, uh, and then use then you can use both. Uh, and hopefully one would be able to edify the other. Adding on to what Mark said, we have to acknowledge the fact that language is the languages used in scripture and our spoken language, English, or even Mandarin, is very different from, from each other. Like, for example, when we uh, use the word witness or testimony, in Greek, it's basically just one word, uh, material, you see? Like, like, if you read through the Gospel of John, if you read, read them through in Greek, uh, you, will, you will read a lot of, of that word coming out, you see, uh, Jesus being the material, or, and, or John the Baptist as well. And... So, and, but then coming to the English version of it, you will see that it, it's being translated to either witness or to bear testimony, you see. So the point is, if, if we do not take certain aspects of the thought for thought concept into translating, uh, translating scripture, there will be a wide chasm for us in, in understanding what passage is trying to tell us. Like again, like the illustration I used in the very beginning, sometimes if we are too focused on the tree, you know, we will forget that there is actually a forest there for us. We would actually lose sight of the big picture. And that's not what we want. But of course, there is the other extreme, you see, where we, where we take it thought for thought to the, to, to the point where we just lose the whole meaning of the passage itself, which is possible which is possible. Uh, let me give an illustration. Let me give an illustration. Many years back, when, when I was about from four or from five, I, 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 I watched the video, an Easter video, right, about this uh, train track, this father and a son. So this one day, you see this train, so this father is actually in charge of, of the bridge for, for the train track. And so, if he if the father is absent, you see, no no one will be there to lower lower the bridge to uh, to allow the train to pass. So what happens is that one day the father is really not there. You see, and then the son, you know, he didn't know how to operate all these things. Then he went, you know, went went to the you know the motors of the of the bridges, you know, all the mechanics of it. And then the father, and then as the father uh, you know come comes back, he was in a dilemma. He you know, he wanted to choose to either save his son or 
or save the save those in the train, you know, because if he if he is to lower down the bridge, he would kill the son. And then of course the moral of the story, we all know that the father, you know, did the right thing, you know, sacrificed his own son and let everyone and pass through the bridge safely. And, and then it ends with a message and say that there's, that goes something along the lines of this. This is Easter story. This is God's love for it. You see, there are thoughts that there are, this is, this is where the extremes of a thought for thought concept goes to, you know, we, we focus so much on the thought to the point that we for, forget about certain things, certain realities that's being mentioned and written down in God's word. But of course, uh, thankfully, NIV is, is not at this extent. So, so, so we can definitely praise God for that and rejoice for that. Because uh, if you are to read it carefully, sometimes NIV is, you know, in certain parts, sometimes NIV is more accurate, in a sense, more accurate, quote unquote, than ESV itself. And that is why, like, what, like Mark, I often refer to NIV too, as well as uh, NASB. Can I clear something in the air first? Um, there is a, uh, every couple of years, uh, a WhatsApp message will come flowing around the Christian community of how the NIV belongs to the same publishers of the Satan Bible and all that jazz and how it's bad and how it's badly written and they take out verses of the Bible. You know, it goes around, especially among the senior fellowship, senior citizens fellowship, you know, and so I, I want to, I want to mention it here in pos for posterity's sake, okay? Because this message will come out every once in a while. That message is entirely false, okay? So half true still makes it entirely false. The, the truth of it is that, yes, HarperCollins, as a for-profit organization, has bought over and hold on to Zondervan, Okay? Uh, and the reason why they want to do that is because they want to make Zondervan a trust entity of its own, and HarperCollins just wants to put in money. That means HarperCollins has no say in the Christian publication of things by Zondervan. HarperCollins just gives money because they believe Zondervan is doing a good thing. So can you imagine that? You know, a secular organization company, you know, actually is very okay in fact think it's a great idea for bible publications to continue on its own accord and so zonovan is actually having full authority on his own translation so if anyone has any issues with the translation itself we'll actually have issues with the scholars behind it which is great scholarship okay and the fact that da carson actually still uses it until today and even puts his own name as a general editor for the niv zonovan study bible which has now been rebranded to the biblical theology study bible uh speaks a lot speak, speaks a lot in testimony of the of good scholarship and its testimony towards uh, evangel the evangelical thought saying that the bible is truly the word of god so if anyone ever brings up this version issue up all over again uh they can take my word for it it's totally false upper collins has no issue about, uh, uh, has nothing has no say on Zondervan. Zondervan actually keeps things on their own posterity, on their own work, and their own scholarship. And the Satan Bible will never be published by Zondervan. Let me just put it that way, for one thing. Okay, and we and there's a whole rabbit hole on Bible verses missing, etc., etc. I will highly recommend uh, King James Controversy by by James White. 
I'll, rec I'll highly recommend uh, videos by NIV actually documenting the reasons why they put translations and even their typeface and type font and their weight of of uh, of uh, of the way they 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 structure a paragraph. They actually give lectures on why they do it a certain way. So do your homework first and don't just take it for granted and just take, don't take it up at face value. Uh, that is Satan himself actually trying to uh, trying to push people away from the Bible and his trustworthiness of Scripture. Yep, I think in. In high regards to taught for taught uh, translations, uh, let's also kind of like dive into the the, the two most uh, most read uh, modern day translations, so called translations. In fact, uh, one is the Passion Translation, and the other is the Message Bible. And uh, I know that there are many uh, anti theses against these uh, two Bible versions, and there are also churches that. Uh, would defend their use or either, uh, you know, just one of the versions. Uh, personally, would you both actually advocate for their uses or perhaps uh, read them for commentaries or sermon writings? And second, uh, why do you think these two versions are deemed uh, controversial? And third, what do you guys think about preachers who love using these two versions as uh, legit Bible translations? I personally would never advocate for the message and the passion translation. I think simply because like what Ezra uh, mentioned in, in the beginning is that, you know, he claims to have a so-called special revelation as he translated and he downloaded all these things from heaven. I'm like, come on, man, this is a, this itself is a big warning sign. It, it seems, right. It seems let's be more charitable. It seems they are pushing their own agendas you know, by claiming all these things and using God's name in vain to, you know, to write a new translation that is more spiritual. And if you, if you are familiar with a Bethel movement as a whole, you can actually see there's, that there's a lot of resemblances with uh, the Passion Translation alongside with, uh, with the agendas that they are actually pushing for, the kind of uh, message that they are preaching. Because... They are so focused on miracles, you see. And for Bill Johnson and his uh, friend and, and, his whole, and, and his whole movement, is that to be a Christian is to live a miraculous life, you know, because that is what Christ came here to do, to perform miracles. And when you read through the gospel stories, at the four of the gospels, you will see how all these uh, instances when, where Jesus, uh, you know, performed miracles to be a bit quite deformed in a sense, right? It'd be quite deformed where, where it actually loses its very intent of the miracle. So instead of, in, instead of a healing, healing to show who he is, you know, uh, the Passion Translation would phrase it in such a way, you know, to advocate for Christians to believe in miracles, you know, and helping Christians see they have the power to perform all these miracles. So I, for one, especially for passion translation, would never advocate for this. And neither would I suggest anyone to use it for commentaries or, or even what more sermon writings. Uh -huh. if, if you want to read it, just read it to see why you, shouldn't, why you should not use it for commentaries and sermon writing. And, and I, I think that kind of explains, uh, the, answers the second question itself, why it's so controversial, because it's, 
just filled with that agenda. And what would I think about creatures who use these uh, legit Bible translations? Uh, I might sound harsh, but I would say, please spend more time studying God's word. Please study the original language, because if you are called to be a preacher, you should have some knowledge of all these things. I'm not, I'm not calling everyone to be uh, Greek scholars like Dan Wallace or Don Carson, but they should at least have some basic knowledge to be able to discern certain words and certain structures of God's word, because uh, this is the charge that Paul gave Timothy, you see, to preach God's word and to, and to be, and to a lay hold of this treasure that has been given, you know, to, what, what's that word again? Oh, yeah. To, to take good, to take hold of this good deposit that has been entrusted to Timothy. And likewise, this call is for all of us preachers, elders, and pastors. And so if you want to use the message or the passion translation, uh, I suggest you to uh, temporarily step down and study God's word. And this is for, this is for the good of those uh, whom you are pastoring, whom you are leading, whom you are teaching. It's for, it's for the good of their soul. I'm not advocating the message in particular, but I want to speak uh, for the sake of Eugene Peterson. Okay. Um, Eugene Peterson, who passed away in 2018 at 85 years old. Okay. I, I think we, I think we, uh, we conservatives, I think we give him a little too much, uh, uh, too, too much grief. Lah, huh? So let, let me, let me defend him before I critique his, before I critique his version. Let me do that. Okay. So Eugene Peterson was a biblical pastor and theologian okay for christ our king presbyterian church usa the last church that actually held steadfast to the definition of biblical marriage before pc usa insisted on allowing same-sex marriage and so on and so forth okay so he still maintains to biblical uh to biblical prowess his bachelor's in sacred theology was from new york his master of arts in semitic languages so it's not just hebrew it's also hebrew aramaic arcadian you know, Semitic in that area, was from Johns Hopkins University, and that is actually a very, very good university when it comes to Bible, when it comes to the Semitic languages. Okay, and one thing I would say is that he puts his name on the message because he wants to be held accountable. But we also must be said that Eugene Peterson consulted many, many people to make sure that the phrasing that he uses for the Bible translation that, he, that, that his name is co connected with is as acceptable to the broad, moderate Christian community. So he has a very specific group of people that he's reaching out to, making sure that meaning for meaning, cultural equivalency will still have its, uh, will still have its uh, holding and still have its ability, okay? So that being said, I would not recommend people to read the message or the Passion Translation exclusively. Here's my reasoning. Number one is that the Bible versions, they themselves actually would declare or would mention that these Bible versions are for a particular culture. Okay? And oftentimes when we read, uh, when we read 
something from another culture, we tend to only see half the picture and therefore misunderstand it. That's why I will only ever recommend it in commentary. I will never even allow anyone to buy the message Bible, just the message. I will recommend it if you insist on it, get a parallel. There's plenty available, NIV and, uh, NIV and the message. So that way they may edify and complement one another. So number one, the reason why I do that is because um, of a cultural issue. The second reason I would say is this. Um, good Bible translations would usually be done in committee. So not just one scholar, many scholars, people who only focus not just on the Hebrew or the Greek, but the Greek in the book of Romans, the Greek in the book of Galatians, the Greek in the book of Ephesians, they have PhDs on it. And therefore they will know about it left, right, center, and they do it well. And when people read it and dialogue about it and debate about it, they will then come to a translation that will, that will resonate uh, these scholars' minds to be able to make sure that the meaning of what the Hebrew and Greek is actually saying resonates out in today's in today's 21st century English. Okay. Unfortunately, the passion trans neither the passion translation nor the message qualifies for that. It's done by a single person with advice from other people, but they will claim single authorship or single translation or single paraphrasing. I'll even call it a paraphrase. Okay. So that's why. Commentaries can be written by one person because that's their scholarly homework. So I will recommend it in commentary for others. Uh, the third reason why I would, rec uh, I would recommend uh, only in commentary is because even in light reading of the message and in the, and in the Passion Translation, um, you will have some issues if you know the Hebrew and Greek very well. So let me give you an example. The Passion Translation at the moment is only available in NIV. Uh, let me give you one example. Uh, and many of us know John 3.16 by heart. And in the end, and some of us in the KJV, some of them in the NIV. Let me just read it at the top of my head in the, in the NIV. Okay. So it will be for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay. So most Bible versions will agree to that. Some will say only begotten, which is fine. Some will say uh, one and only son. Some will say everlasting life. Some will say eternal life. The meaning is still there. Okay. The problem that you have with versions like the Passion Translation is that this is what they will say. This is what they write or what he writes for John 3.16. For here is the way God loved the world, which, by the way, is an okay way of saying it because the uh, Holman Christian Standard Bible uh, puts it for God loved the world in this way because uh, the focus on John 3.16 is not the idea of God loved the world so much like it's an emotion, but God loved the world with a particular action. So here is the way God loved the world. That's fine. He gave his one, his only unique son. Now there's some interpretation in that. Okay, because one and only um, denotes there's only him and there's only one son in existence. To say unique, therefore, would mean that, oh, are there other sons available? Okay, so that's one issue. And then he adds these three words in italics, but it already misconstrues the whole verse altogether. Okay, so here's the way God so loved the world. He gave his only unique son as a gift. So when you say words like that, as a gift, you then limit a person, a reader, to only see, oh, okay, Jesus is my gift. Jesus has gifted it to me, gifted it to me. It's my present. When actually, uh, John 3.16 is actually emphasizing on Jesus as the sacrifice. 
the substitution of, of atonement for our sins. And so it's more than just a present. It's, an, it's a gracious, it's a selfless act of grace to be sacrificed on the cross. But that disappears the moment he puts as a gift. So now, and then if you read that, then you see the, the, the rest of the verse. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. So he adds, so he adds then, not just have everlasting life, like a possession, experience an everlasting life, which is an intuition of his own uh, existential understanding, which is not supported by the Greek. So, you, so the problem when you have single people doing a Bible translation is that you're not really getting a translation, you're getting an interpretation. And the Message Bible is not as bad, but along those lines as well. So I will be very cautious for those who for, for those who use it and read it regularly. And for the preachers who uses these 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 Bible versions as their mainstay to preach from the pulpit, um, I would advise or I would hope to God, okay, because let's say the message is the pew version. Okay. If it's in Alabama or North Carolina, I think I can understand that because that's their equivalency. But I pray the preacher and teacher uses the full extent of the library that is graced upon them in looking at other Bible versions, how they word it, so that way the real meaning of it comes up. It is unfortunate, however, that I've seen plenty of those churches that uses these translations exclusively, the Passion Translation, the Message Translation, they end up just reading into what the message and the passion translation is saying, and therefore leading them to a different agenda of the uh, a, a different agenda of their own, which is not of the gospel, but ends up being their own experience, health, wealth, uh, uh, feel good, you know, but Jesus loves me and me and me, you know, and uh, uh, that does not do that does that does not do any good service to the church in knowing the whole counsel of God and the fullness of his gospel. So that's my take on them and that. All right, guys. So if my memory serves me well, translators of the version work on individual reading from Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek manuscripts as original reading and some as secondary readings. So my question is then, is there a specific text that all translators use to create various Bible versions? And let me just answer this very quickly. There, there are camps, I would say this, okay? So one will use the Masoretic text, and then one will use another, uh, 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 Biblia, Hebraica, Stuttgensia. Okay, so these are the two uh, go-to texts for Hebrew. And then for Greek, there's Nestle Allen, uh, which I have the 27th version, but I think they're now gone on to the 29th, you know? Uh, so the end, they make it readily available for Bible preachers and readers online to be able to refer to it. And of course, there is the Textus Receptus, which is commonly used among uh, King James only and so on and so forth. Now, when a group of people decides to use one or the other, okay, most of the time today, translators will not just limit themselves to one or the other and refuse to look at the other. No. Uh, a lot of times, they will use actually an eclectic of both and uh, those are the versions that are readily available out there for them to read and to for them to read and consider. All right, so yeah, so there is a there is a particular Hebrew and Greek text out there, 
And uh, for those of, for those people who feel, oh, why is there updates? You know, Nestle Allen 27, 28, 29. Well, it's because, thanks be to God, archaeology is showing more and more and more. And that is, they're showing more and more and more uh, discoveries, which then not, it doesn't change a whole lot. In fact, it affirms the Christian faith of which we now hold today. It just, and gives us more clarity when we approach scripture. Uh, approach scripture. So yes, there is the Masoretic and Biblia Hebraica Stuttgigensia. There's the Texas Receptus and the uh, Nestle Island 27, 28, 29. And all that is really available online. Okay, so I'm going to cut Cernan off. Uh, I think so basically Mark has answered basically everything, I guess. So now, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, so with respect to the New Testament, there are relatively few rare words. But one example of a rare word can be found in the Lord's Prayer, as uh, seen in Matthew uh, 6, verse 11 and Luke 11, verse 3, which says, give us today our daily bread and give us each day our daily bread. Uh, in which the meaning is uncertain. It is usually translated as daily bread. But some would say that it means bread for tomorrow. The word has never been found anywhere in Greek literature. So now what will a translator do when there are two equally possible meanings? Yeah, and that is why we thank God for footnotes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as silly as that sounds, yeah, we thank God for footnotes because uh, it, that's why if you read your Bibles, you, you will see there's always this a little little numbers or little alphabets by, by certain words and then that there will be certain explanatory notes down below at, at the bottom of the page. And that is what translators would do. They would uh, give you an alternate uh, reading or alternate meaning for, for the word or how to render certain translations uh, because whether we like it or not, uh, Greek is quite an ancient language, not as ancient as Hebrew, but it's still quite ancient. And it's very, very different from the English that we know today. So that is why we have to acknowledge that. And I'm pretty sure some of us might start wondering, oh my goodness, so how then are we to... Uh, deal with all these chasms that all, all these chasms created by language barriers uh, does that mean we can't know these truths uh, thanks be to god uh, it's only where it's only certain words that we have few meanings alternate meanings if i might say and even among these alternate meanings uh, it's it's not going to change the it's not going to change how the outlook of the forest is going to look like you are still going to get uh, the big picture of certain things, like for example, in Romans, the most fa the most famous one, uh, you know, either the faith faith of Christ or the or faith in Christ. You know, uh, scholars have debated what that means, what that stands for. But I mean, from from my limited understanding as of now, studying that text, uh, either either meaning will not distort the whole message that Paul is trying to help us see. So we can have assurance that we can know what God is trying to communicate, not what God is trying to, sorry, God can communicate to us. Uh, we can get the message and the truth of what God wants to communicate to us in his word. So there's no need for us to worry too much about uh, all these little, little details. In some sense, we don't have to worry too much. But of course, we should also study it diligently. 
this is also the reason why I emphasize very greatly that we cannot depend on one Bible version. We need to look at a few because each Bible Precisely. version will look at only one nuance and not the other. And then thanks be to God, the other Bible version will look at one nuance and then not the other because we only have one page, one writing, you know. Unless you want to go amplify Bible, they, they will put, uh, give, us, give, us this, give us this day, tomorrow, and the day after our bread. You know, so, but... Um, uh, so thank, so that will be one reason why we should have multiple versions because the fullness of the word is not available in English. It's only existing in Greek. That being said, um, epiousios is the word that is the word that is uh, that is being discussed right now. Um, epiousios has a very interesting feature because it's not because just as I, as I was saying, epiousios is not just talking about this day. It's talking about the next day and the day after that. Okay, the 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 tense is the, the tense is in like pre present continuous perfect something like that one something that you can never express in English, so that's why for most traditions they will use daily because why if you read the Bible every day, you're taught you you yeah, or if you pray the Lord's prayer every day, give us this day our daily bread. So give us this day today, our daily bread, which then implies not just today but for tomorrow, you know. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, another one, and then for the translation say, or oh, give us this day, our bread for tomorrow. Um, yes, it does bring a fullness and understanding about how God will provide not just enough for one day, but also for tomorrow. But, um, it's also can be very confusing. If you hear that the first time you be like, oh, give us this day, our bread for tomorrow. But wait a minute. If I eat the bread for tomorrow, what's going, what am I going to eat tomorrow? So of course. In reading the Lord's Prayer every day, you then say, okay, so God will always provide for tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. So for the most common understanding on how the meaning of the Lord's Prayer is to be brought out, most scholars will look at daily simply because, uh, simply because it expresses uh, the, the theological understanding that God will providentially provide every day. All right. So there are issues dealing with variant readings or variations in the texts that are found in Hebrew and Greek manuscripts. Should they be listed? And if so, how often should they be listed? What information should be given for the reading adopted in the text as well as the readings that were not adopted? Now, if you've read through the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John, there are certain chapters where you, where the heading goes something along the lines of this. This is not found in the earliest manuscript of the God, within the gospel. So you, you can see from there, you can actually get a hint. Actually, it's not just a hint. It's literally telling you uh, this was actually not found in the earliest manuscript. And, and for some listeners who might ask, why? why? Why is that not a good thing? Why should we... Why, why should, uh, you know, translators note this out. It's simply because uh, in, in the field of textual criticism, which I'm pretty sure Ezra uh, has, you know, has, has much more knowledge than I do. Uh, in, in the area of textual criticism, you take the manuscript that is the earliest because whatever comes later, is high. it's quite highly possible that it is actually an addition because if you think about it, uh, people would, people would uh, explain 
more than you know more, more than uh, taking off certain things because if you take off certain things people will not be able to understand much the, the message much more and for us like for for the case of mark and for the case of john it's not so much to explain but it's a it's a whole different story altogether that that is being added into in, into the gospels like for example the gospel of mark uh, it actually ends quite perfectly you know with the people trembling and and fearing you know fe fearing uh, what has happened because you know jesus was raised from the dead he indeed is the son of god it it might seem abrupt but if you read through the whole gospel it's it actually makes perfect sense so that is why uh the variant reading which is the additional of the, for the gospel of mark is is actually an addition and it's you know rightly noted so that that is some of the information that's been given uh, to us right and that is why uh, when you read read through your bible you will see certain footnotes as well again footnotes uh, indicating a variant readings within the passage so if you so and if you want to get certain study bible as well which would uh which would which would explain more of you know all these little little variants as well which is very helpful for readers like us i mean for readers in general springboarding from what Sunung just said Sunung just said i would say uh yes uh yes uh not only uh not only the variants should be listed the variants are listed okay they are listed people have been very curious about this for dozens and dozens of years and so finally with the help of the internet they have able to compile everything and put it together and it's now available readily online uh, i love the way Sunning puts it in that you look at study bibles uh which will then actually give ample notes on on variants and ample notes on on what it could say what it could possibly say but theologically speaking from the general uh from the general christian community and from the impact of the holy spirit we do know these things to be true yeah and uh i'm saying this uh, that dan wallace did not pay me any money to say this but i but it's only because i'm very impressed by uh, by the bible version that is out that is the net bible the new english translation so netbible.org has sixty thousand notes which by the way the average study bible only has about 20 to twenty-five thousand study notes so three times the amount and it is not study notes for not just for daily application they do have that they don't uh, they don't just have uh, notes for translation but they also have notes for and they also have notes for textual criticism so they have tn sn and tc okay so textual criticism notes so that means that he will say okay that variance here it says here is about this this is why we chose this rendering because of these reasonings and i think that's a very very good resource especially for those who worry about uh what they're what are they actually reading and whether what they're reading is a trustworthy a trustworthy translation which most of the time it is la. yeah so on one side is it really necessary for it to be in your daily bible i think if you do that and you want it on a personal side the font's gonna be superbly small you're not gonna be able to read anything uh, so i would say uh, you don't need to carry it with you in your text bible but just to let you know that if you have the internet it's readily available there for you to refer 
and we have no excuse. We scroll through Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, whatever. Amen. And don't don't tell don't tell us. You know you have no five. You don't have even five minutes to look through to go to Google search NEP Bible. Exactly. Exactly. Amen to that. Well, we've come to an end of our conversation. Uh, but at the moment, we, uh, yeah. So if you have any thoughts to our listeners, if you have any thoughts or questions, personally write to us at explainconversations at gmail.com. I repeat, write to us at explainconversations at gmail.com. Also follow us on Instagram at explainconversations. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our Facebook page. We have a new name, Explain International. Woo-hoo. Thanks for tuning in with us and we'll see you again for the next episode.